The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning and welcome everyone to Radio Tony. I'm your host, Tony Lontis, and this is your safe space for talking about tough issues in life and business. Firstly, a big shout out to our technician, Rebel, who was sounding completely terrible, but is still showing up to connect us together today on Radio Tony. We love you, Rebel, sending you healing thoughts. Thanks to our listeners today for taking the time to listen to our fabulous show that we've got planned today. I'd love you to pop onto Facebook and like Radio Tony, who has its own Facebook page now. If you'd like to jump onto my website and listen to the shows that you're missed, you've missed, it's TonyLontis.com. Well, listeners, it's been an amazing few weeks for me, and I thought I'd quickly take time to let you know what's been going on in my world. So luckily for me, Radio Tony now has a sponsor, the amazing Kerry Hort Rowe from Brain Thinking. Now, Kerry's business is particularly impressive. Uh, her, she is a CEO and founder of Brain Thinking. She's a business advocate with a passion for helping to create amazing work environments for staff and clients alike, and in turn, helping businesses to grow and thrive. She works well in all kinds with all kinds of clients, from beauty salons and spas to accountants, artists artists and building and manufacturing companies. She particularly enjoys interacting with customer service teams in the retail space to improve their performance. Kerry has a 30-year background in the beauty business and corporate world. She applies the success lessons she's learned to a wide variety of different business situations. Kerry is a great speaker and motivator, empowering and energizing staff to outperform all expectations. She has a particular soft spot for small companies and has first-hand experience on how tough it is to wear many hats and how small decisions can often mean the difference between success and failure. Kerry is also a qualified HBDI accredited practitioner 
She helps clients become successful in life no matter how small or big their goals. Attending many sales and management courses over the years has shown her that there are two common characteristics of successful people. They are not afraid of a chance and trusting themselves and they plan their work and work plan. HBDI whole brain thinking model identifies the degree of preference you have for emotional, analytical, structural or strategic thinking. There are three parts to Kerry's business and they are business advocate, motivational speaker and HDBI practitioner. So HBDI, Erin would like to know, is just short form for working out how your brain works. And in coming weeks, we're going to have Kerry live on Radio Tony, and she's going to explain all the intricacies of that model. Um, I've also wanting to let you know that another friend of mine, Yagita, from Travelling With Me, Myself and I, has an amazing Australian retreat coming up on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Now, Yagita is having a bit of a tough time, and I won't mention why, but she has this amazing retreat planned for the Sunshine Coast on Queensland, and it's called Unleash the Power of Your Authentic Self Retreat. And she wants you to experience the joy of reconnecting with your true self. And the retreat will include workshops, activities, island excursions, specially designed to focus on self-love, self-care and gaining real self-worth and respect. Her retreat will include masterclasses, daily morning yoga and meditation, half-day workshops and full-day workshops combined with swimming and relaxing. So if you'd like to join Yogita on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia, it's on the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of November 2019. And it will be at the beautiful Ramada Resort at Markula Beach. Um, for accommodation, more about her retreats and uh, information, pop on to her website, which is travellingwithmemyselfandi.com. And I will pop the link into the chat, bo- chat box for all of you to see right now. And then I'm going to answer some wonderful questions from our listeners already. So Gabby wants to know, how do people get into speaking? Well, Gabby, that's an amazing uh, question for us today. Um, I'm actually got some guests coming up on Radio Tony who will be talking about specifically that, how to get into uh, public speaking. And uh, Erin wants to know, what do those letters stand by? Well, Erin, you'll have to stand by because I'm going to have Kerry on the show in the upcoming weeks where she'll explain exactly what that is. Renee wants to know what line um, of study is the school. And Willow wants to know, why is it we lose ourselves so easy? Well, Willow, we uh, lose ourselves 
uh, easily because we get so busy with life and we get so busy with life that we forget how to care for ourselves and Yogita's retreat is all about teaching you how to self-love and self-care and we uh, I know that Yogita has a beautiful soft soul and heart and that's why her retreats are so incredibly special and I know that if you were traveling from wherever, she would be able to help you with your travel and accommodation. Yugita runs retreats all around the world, but this next one is particularly in Australia. And I'm not sure if you realize that as an American uh, buying Australian products, you get so much more bang for your buck. And I'd just like to let you know that I'm just going to take a break and uh, talk to our incoming caller, Maria. So just one moment. Before I introduce our wonderful guest, Maria, um, I just want to have a big shout out. This week we buried my husband's grandma, Jean Jenkins, and she had lived to the ripe old age of 94 and had passed unexpectedly after a fall. So Grandma Jean was still a wonderful, vibrant personality, was a favourite at her care centre where she lived and was still uh, enjoying visits from lots of family and friends. So at 94, she was still rocking life. And I have to say it was one of the most beautiful funerals I've been to in a long time and I feel incredibly uh, blessed to have been able to spend and know the last 12 years of her life. Uh, Grandma is um, the mother of four beautiful children who are desperately missing her this week and a big shout out if they happen to be listening. Now, our guest today, our first guest today, is the beautiful Maria Fontana. Maria is a passionate entrepreneur, published author, intuitive business consultant and growth strategist. She has 25 years of proven results with her clients and she helps business owners and entrepreneurs become the best version of themselves inside and out. Maria will help you find your innate gifts, powers and potential. In her personal life, she's overcome anxiety, panic attacks, divorce, and all the while bringing up her two beautiful children. She's been to hell and back and is out the other side. And according to Maria, to be vulnerable is to be human. To tell your story, share your knowledge, and to help others is light. So we're going to pop on to a short break and when we come back, we'll be live on air with Maria and we'll be asking her some wonderful questions. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book 
from Australian author Tony Londis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony, experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. So, Maria, how are you? I'm good. You know, we'll do the best that we can. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Maria, I'm looking forward to talking to you this morning. So I'd like to start by uh, telling our listeners that, uh, talking to our listeners and letting them know what was it like for you growing up? Let's know a little bit more about you. Okay, so I'll give you a little bit about my background. So I live in the United States. I'm a firstborn, first generation, uh, first, first generation child of immigrants. My parents came here from Italy. Um, they uh-huh. were immigrants in the U.S. So I am bilingual. I speak Italian. So I was raised by, you know, really hardworking folks, but they were a little bit stuck. So my childhood was, um, you know, to say the least, very dysfunctional, lots of drama. You know, they did, I always say they did the best they could with what they knew how, but, um, there was there was a lot of dysfunction and there still is, um, but it it really sculpted me to the woman I am today because then when I got older I'll get into that later I did have a nervous breakdown because you know everything does pile up on you when you're a kid you just don't get it you're just in survival mode so so yeah. that's my story you know like I said I'm the oldest of four children I was the caregiver the fixer you know Maria yeah. can fix it Maria'll do it um, you know responsible oldest daughter <laughs> yeah I identify exactly with that maria do you feel comfortable telling our listeners a little bit more about that childhood dysfunction and the reason i ask that is because often we don't realize the dysfunction in our families until we're much much older and in doing this show, I like to try and educate people on what dysfunction looks like so that they can recognize it in their own lives. Are you comfortable answering that for me, Maria? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've written it in my book, Love and Life, yes. which is available on Amazon. So I'm very open um, discussing it. So what happened was um, when I was about, I'm going to say 30, that's that's when I hit a wall. Yes. I had a nervous breakdown after my first daughter was born. But I didn't know that's what was wrong. And that's when everything came flooding out. So what happened was the dysfunction was my parents um, had, you know, a typical arranged marriage of the time. Um, They they came from mass dysfunction. So they, you know, they were just workers, hardworking, great people with great values. But our home life was was full of violence. They, They constantly fought. I mean, by the time I was eight. The, you know, local police department knew me by my first name. It was normal. You know, I was the oldest of four, so I was constantly calling the police, 911. Um, there was a lot of violence between the two of them. They were just so unhappy or miserable with themselves that yes. they didn't even realize, you know, what was going on, to, you yeah. know, in our perspective. Um So there was constant violence. Um, then my mother suffered with um, severe hoarding. So yes. that impacted our lives tremendously because once again, 
you ignore it and act like it's not affecting you because it's in your household. But it did mm-hmm. affect you because you couldn't have your friends over. And um, it was it was really rough. It was very painful, um, especially being the oldest of four. I was constantly putting out fires. I was constantly trying to make everyone feel better. Uh, you know, nurturing my brothers and sisters because they were younger. I had to grow up really quick. I mean, I can distinctly remember by the time I was seven, I I was like a grown woman in my mind. Like, and and always the fear of what's going to happen next. When's the next fight going to break out? When's the next, you know, table going to be flipped up in the air? When's, you know, when's the next thing going to break? And, and, you know, my mother was always crying, always miserable. Oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. So it was always a just very painful and and as a kid you're just in a constant state of unrest waiting for the ball to drop waiting for the ball to drop but this was normal till i became old enough to realize it wasn't normal that's it isn't it um evie wants to know maria um and i think it's in reference to the hoarding how was that growing up the hoarding so i'll i'll tell you a little bit about my mother's hoarding now my mother is still alive and well Yes. And she still is a full-blown hoarder. So she's not a hoarder of what I call filth. She's a hoarder of stuff. Yes. So how was it? Um, well, you know, they have a million-dollar home, let's say, like a beautiful million-dollar home that's gigantic, yes. that's packed to the gills. There's little um, pathways to get into the garage. Let's say you have a two-car garage. It's packed. There's just a pathway to walk in. Everything's piled yeah. to the ceiling. Yeah. The bedrooms are like that. Um, again, it's, um, when did it really come to life? Well, I'll tell you when this all came to life was as I got older, I was 16, 17. So I think she started with the hoarding. I'm going to say maybe when I was nine or 10, because I Ah. distinctly remember that that's when it started. Um, and, and I don't know why, you know, I've, I've had 20 years of therapy under my belt. They say it comes from trauma from something she went through and we'll never know because you know the italians and again don't I'm just talk about my, it yeah i'm, I'm gonna say from my point of view you don't go to therapy you don't talk about it they are taking that to the grave like you will never yes, gonna know yes. yes um it was painful tony you know and it's still painful i'm a 51 year old woman and yes. i've learned to accept it and I have no expectations and I love her from a distance and I I love I meet her where she's at because we've tried to get her help and we've tried many things yes but when someone's not ready they're not there yet or they're not going to change it's a it's like a mental sickness so we you have to um release that expectation and meet them where they're at or you're going to keep carrying their pain and yeah I don't want to carry that anymore yeah 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 um Maria so difficult childhood. Um, Oliver wants to know: Has that changed over time? I'm suggesting it's probably not changed over time. It's still the same level of it's, hoarding as it was. Yep, it's still the same, and it probably gets worse because as the years go on. You know, my father's ninety, my mother's in her late seventies. Um, yes, we've just all resigned to the fact that one day when they're not here, we're, we're just going to yep. have to clean it all up. <laughs> you know, it, you, there's a point where you have to say what can I do? They're still in their right mind. I can't yes. force them to change because it takes over your own well-being at that point. That's right. Um, so I've had to, you know, step and, and each person's responsible for their own life. So I've had to back away from it, but I know no one talks about it. So I think my yeah. 
third book is going to be about hoarding. And I've, I haven't <laughs> started that yet because I know there's so many people and I want to name it children of hoarders. They yes. don't realize that it's very painful and it does affect your whole life. It affects how because you feel you can't, about yourself. You can't and, invite people over because no. of the shame of the space that you live in. No, it's, it's, it's very... It's very limiting. I mean, you're talking about holidays, um, you know, everything, having friends over. So I see the question, um, yeah. taking it to the grave. Um, yeah, I, I guess they will. I'm not really sure, you know. <laughs> everything will stay here, but people don't change unless they want to get help and change. It's it's like um, alcoholism, drug addiction. Yeah. It's, it's in the same realm, believe it or not. They are all linked to to something. Yeah. There's something in in your mother's background that that is so deeply hurtful that it causes a physical behaviour, and that's hoarding. And you and, never and I'll get. I'll be honest to- with you. I'm the oldest of four, and I've been working on myself for over 20 years. Lots of personal development, lots of therapy, lots of healing work. I work with the angels. I'm a light worker. Lots yeah. of real intense personal growth, but not everybody in the family will be on the same page with you. So what I want to tell your listeners, if you're dealing with anything in your family like this, if you start really working on yourself and evolving, don't be shocked if other people are not happy about it. Exactly. I've been on the same journey myself, Maria, and I can tell you that uh, as you start to grow and and work on yourself, and I too, many, many years of therapy under my belt as well, and as you change, grow and evolve, you develop a deeper, more spiritual understanding of how you work and how others work, but your family may not be on the same journey. They're not at the same level and you can't force them you just have to love them because and through it don't you maria and i i believe that you have to love them where they're at and um i always share this with my clients you may have to love some people at a distance for a while and that's okay you may have to reinvent how you spent your holidays or how you spend that time maybe you'll meet for coffee and cake instead of a full-blown five-hour dinner where the shit could hit the fan oh excuse me (laughs) And, and, you know, a war could break out. You know, you yes. have to really start figuring out how to create, you know, it's an overused word, but healthy boundaries for yourself. And that is one of the keys you learn as you start to heal and evolve yourself is that you have to put boundaries around your yourself to protect yourself and protect yeah. that new you, so to speak. Right. And, and I have to be honest with you, Tony, like I speak of it openly and, yes. you know, a lot of people, I feel like I want to speak about this all openly. Um, <laughs> sounds like a day in the life of my family. Yeah, you know, you're not alone. Believe me, a lot of us are in the same boat, just different parts yes, of it. Yes, Missy, yeah. Um, but um, that was part of my mission. When I really started to own my own magic, own my own intuitive gifts, own who I am, that I am connected to light and that I have so much to offer. And I said, you know what? I need to share my message with others and make a bigger impact on the world and show other people that listen. You know, they see me online. I'm normal. I curse. I'm very successful. But I've been through hell. Like, so there's nothing wrong with being real and, and you can get through it. You can yes. get through anything if you choose 
that road. And I was just going to say, it's part of the reason why I do what I do and tell people's stories so that the listeners who listen to this show will know that it's okay to have a messy childhood and a dysfunctional upbringing. It's okay. It, It doesn't mean that you can't be successful. It doesn't mean that you don't have a message to tell. And and it's about encouraging people to live the path that they're meant to live, Maria, isn't it? I believe that, Tony. And, you know, the truth is, I believe we choose our parents. This is just my spiritual beliefs. I believe we choose our parents in this lifetime for whatever healing journey and growth that we need for this lifetime. Again, this is just my personal belief. And it's true because if I didn't have that, then that led me to my dysfunctional marriage because my ex-husband mirrored my family. Yes. <laughs> so I continued the pattern of babysitting. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, that, that brings us to part two. <laughs> yes, that which I was just, go for it, Maria. You, It's your stage. <laughs> so, well, so part two comes in. So, you know, I'll just skip a little part now. So in between all this, um, you know, at 19 years old, I started my first business. I opened a beauty salon. I saved my money for two years. I'm a very hard worker. Because of my dysfunction and where I came from, my goal was I had very strong worth ethic. My parents yes. gave me great values, great work ethic. Yes. But I wanted better. And all I saw was I steamrollered ahead and I didn't want to conform to what everyone else was doing. So at 19, I opened my first business. And, um, you know, I was very successful by by the time I was in business a few years, I was making six figures. And in the 90s, yeah. that was unheard of. I mean, but I was working, yes. I was working hard. Yeah. So I, I got married then at 33. So I wasn't that young when I got married yeah. under pressure because my mom felt, oh, if you're not married, oh, you're yeah. just a hairdresser. And what are you doing? And blah, 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 all, yeah. all this negative nonsense. Yeah. Married my ex-husband, not a bad man. But he was bipolar, manic depressive. But I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. I mean, I, how would I know any of this yet? I, that's exactly <laughs> right. You don't right. know until you start to educate yourself around, okay, so that behavior, that's not quite right. Right. I mean, I just thought he was lazy. I thought this, I thought that. I'm like, you know, and I, again, I was a fi- I was so used to the pattern with my family because I was a fixer, the doer. Yes. Maria will do it. Maria will fix it. Maria will make it better. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. my role. I, I just I just fixed everything for everyone. So then I fell into this marriage. And what happened was um, when my daughter was born, which is about a year and a half later, that's when I cracked. Yeah. But I don't say that's when I cracked. I'm going to say that's when the light cracked open because I hit rock bottom. I was depressed. I was overweight. I didn't know what to do with this baby. All of a sudden, all this sludge and pain started coming up that I didn't even yeah. know I had my body. It was like it was like a volcano of sludge was coming up in emotions. I had chest pains. I just couldn't. Wow. Fu- there was no way to function. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack every day. Oh. So, Tony, one of my clients says to me one day, she goes, you know, Maria, she handed me a card. She goes, I want you to call this person one of these days. Yeah. And after I finished doing her hair at the time, I, I looked at it and I thought, oh, it's a therapist. How dare she? Because again, remember, I wasn't where I'm at now. So I was like, oh my God, she thinks I'm crazy. Why? Maybe I shouldn't have told her anything. You know, all this crazy yeah. stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. So fast forward, I started doing per- working on myself with my healer. And that's how my journey started. Yeah. Um, but it took me 10 years to get divorced because I didn't have support for my family once again, which in my mind, 
was so important because they had to approve of everything I did. Yes. Because that was the conditioning I had. Yes. I uh, just so many similarities to my own life, Maria. I'm just <laughs> sitting here going, yes, oldest of four. Yes, the fix of the yep. people pleaser. Yes, yep. yes, yes. Long yep. time before you actually finally give in and go and seek some help. And when you do, you think, oh, my God, how fractured, right. fractured am I that I need to actually seek help? But there's nothing wrong with going to therapy and seeking healing is there maria it was the it was the game changer of my life yes. that changed my life now it didn't change overnight folks i'm not gonna lie to you i will be the first one to tell you the truth yeah it took commitment it took me showing up for myself yes. it took me at all costs looking in the mirror and going and to go. therapy some weeks when it felt i was like i don't really want to go i feel like shit when i leave sometimes because dealing yeah. with the pain and digging in doesn't always feel good, but it's I have to hard tell you, work. It's hard, hard work. work. But if you choose, it's like healing anything else, healing an addiction. If you choose to take the path and have faith, Amber, I have a lot of faith. I believe in my angels. I believe in light work. I I do implement a lot of healing strategies and energetic strategies, guided imagery into my own personal healing. And yes. And my angels, I call them all the time for help. Um, I'm very intuitive. So as I started to heal, I started to fine tune my gifts. And I'm like, wow, I don't have to hide this. This is this is great. Um, but it was can a lot you, of tone. Can you tell me, Maria, about the time when you realized that you had those intuitive uh, powers? Was it a was it a big a big thing for you to realize or was it a slow over time how did that go for you it was a slow process so i yes. i had a connection to like light and angels and spirituality and all these beautiful um beings of light when i was a child and i would see them all the time i would feel their energies and i would just know things without knowing yes. so that was the beginning of it um and then as I got older, I would just know things without knowing. And I'd be like, wait, how did I just know that? Yes. So, of course, I shut it down for many years while I was in what I call survival mode because I was just yeah. in a dark place. I was depressed. I felt like crap. Yes. Um, but as I started to work on myself and my heart center started opening up and I started to allow and I started to open up everything, my energies and release all the pain that during that process of the years, I slowly started to really realize how much light I had. Yes. And I just knew all this stuff that I knew Then I intuitively would just pick up books um, at Barnes and Noble. I would just start reading and I start to educate myself. And it was just a journey. One thing, it was divine timing because the, the, yes. the teachers would pre present themselves at the right time, either it be a book or I would just meet someone who would say, oh, here, you know, this, you would love this. Or uh, it was, you can't make this up because it was really divine timing, divine yes. timing all the time. And when I ask angels for help or I close my eyes and, and I just reach out, I, I get clear, very clear messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all started with that one business card saying, go talk to this person. Yep. Yeah. And she was an earth angel in my opinion, in hindsight, looking back on my whole life, yes. I can distinctly see every single earth angel who came into my life yes. for a purpose. Yes. Being if it was a day or a minute, 
you know, or yeah. a life or, or years. There's That's so exactly many. right. People come into our, our lives or, or pass through our lives for a minute, a week, a long time, for your right. lifetime. There's always some purpose behind those connections, I believe, like you do, Maria. I do, too. And and then, Tony, what I started to do is as I started to grow and evolve, you know, in the years went by. Oh, so what is an earth angel? So yeah. in my, again, this is my personal. Thanks, Leo. You could even do uh, research yourself. Oh, an earth angel is someone who's on this plane, the plane of earth, because there's different energetic planes, I believe, like the angels or beings of light, they're in a different plane this, than us. And an earth angel is someone either in a human body or really a human that just happens to be here to deliver a message in passing. So someone just might touch your life. Someone might do a good deed for you. Someone like you'll just meet them one day and you'll never see them again. Or it might be someone who's in your life all the time. It's basically a human who has angelic energy that is yes. definitely delivering a message and guiding you yeah. with light to, to, a, to the next step of something in your life. Yeah, yeah. They've got a, a, a distinct purpose and they usually know what that purpose is, don't they? Right. Well, I believe they're divine messengers. I mean, some people call them beings of light. Some people will call them angels. Some people will call it source, energy, God, yes. whatever resonates with you. It's non-denominational and it's non-religious. It's really just all pure, beautiful love and light energy that we all have. We all have it in our heart center, all of us. I was actually going to ask you, do you believe that everyone has intuitive abilities and that some of us tap into them and others don't know they exist? I believe we all have a gift. Um, I think some people might be more sensitive to hearing things, to feeling things. Um, some people get clearer messages. Some people get visions. Other people just have a knowing. I think we all have it um, to some extent. I just think it's different how we all um, – it's like working out your arms. You know, If you want your biceps to be strong, yes. you have to. Really take time and be with yourself. Listen. But I, I, I challenge all your listeners today. Think about this week. Anytime you just have a feeling that you know, if it come from a, comes from a place of love, it's it's your intuition. If it comes from a place of fear, it, it might be your ego messing with you. So that's, that's a simple way to know it. Like, just check in with your heart and be like, is this a knowing or am I, or am I, or, or is or this Or you were scared. Right, right. That's, if you're that's scared, a great it's not intuition. Yeah, that that's great because if you start to listen to those little things, the just knowing, the just knowing I have to speak to that person or the just knowing I have to take that road versus that road yep. or the that's intuition, isn't it? Absolutely. And the more we use it, the more the stronger it you fine-tune it and the stronger it becomes. And I use it in business all the time. I use it in my business consulting practice. I use it in my personal development practice. It's it's something that we all have. And I see my clients and just people just love it. They're amazed at themselves. But you know what happens? They just, yeah. they begin to allow themselves to believe it's okay. Because it's just yeah. a belief. A lot of times it's their own belief systems and, and just things they learned, you know, and old patterns that they're they're afraid to allow their intuition to guide them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that you struggled with, and, and we're going to go somewhere different just for the last little while, I know that you struggled with anxiety, and I'd really like the listeners to understand how anxiety impacts on your life, how you recognize it, 
and some of the ways that you overcome it? So I will share um, my take on anxiety. Now, you know, I'm not a physician, so anxiety I know has many different faces, many different yeah. faces. Um, I've had some clients tell me that, you know, they have an upset stomach, they get diarrhea, they can't leave the house, um, you know, different ways. Now, my anxiety was a gripping um, where I couldn't breathe. Like, I would just feel yeah. like I would start sweating. I felt like my chest was tightening. Um Sometimes I would get what they call ocular migraines where I would actually lose my vision. Like everything would get blurry, like the old TV screens. And it would just de debilitate me where I couldn't go anywhere. Yes. I had to lay down, take Advil. So anxiety is basically um, what I believe. It's it's fear. The It's your ego allowing fear to cripple you. It's not real. So it is real because you feel it physically, but it can be controlled. Now, again, I'm not a physician, so I'm not giving medical advice. I'm giving spiritual yes, advice on what has worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, so what I found was through breathing techniques. Now, once again, it took time to learn this through breathing techniques. Yeah. Meditation, mini meditations. Yeah. Um, hypnosis. Now, you don't uh -huh. have to go pay someone to get hypnosis. I have bought wonderful subliminal hypnosis is online where I just have their music. It's like birds chirping or a waterfall. Yeah, and it's actually yeah. working on your subconscious mind to remove those thoughts and patterns that are keeping you stuck. And I have it on sometimes when I'm working. Yeah. I will do a little uh, meditation, like a de-stressing meditation before I go to bed. I These are the things that healed me. I never... I did not need medication. I did them all holistically. I healed myself holistically. Yes. Um, some acupressure and um, tapping. I've, yes. I learned that from my healer. So, so many different modalities that yes. you yes. can implement to heal yourself. But, but anxiety about, is, I'm sorry, sweetie, sorry. go ahead. It, it's about finding what works for you and, and what feels <laughs> intuitively again what right. intuitively feels right for you it's no use right. trying something and that just doesn't work for you that's okay the and different modality right you can't force it either this is the other thing i always share with people i say to them if you sit there and say oh my god i have anxiety i have anxiety i have anxiety you're just feeding the ego more fear you have to yeah. stop and it takes time and it takes courage to say, okay, I'm okay. Because what happens is we hold our breath and that's what yeah. triggers all these feelings. We don't even realize we're doing, we start holding our breath. And then of course yeah. you feel dizzy, you get chest pains, you start sweating. Um, and again, these are just my symptoms. I hear there's so many different ways people have anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I changed my lifestyle. I stopped drinking caffeinated coffee. Yeah. Uh, I started walking every day. I started practicing. Now, mind you, um, for me, it was a struggle to meditate. I'm not going to lie to you, Tony. I'm a doer. I'm a busy kind of woman. To oh, meditate oh, took me. I agree. It was like a struggle. But that's why I personally found the subliminal meditations that I could just listen to while I was doing something else really helped me over the years. And it changed my life. That's a great um, Tip yeah. Maria. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you can even go on YouTube if you, yeah. I can't think of the name, but you can even just go on YouTube you can and just punch YouTube. those things in. Absolutely. Another yeah. huge thing is um, 
once again, I stop watching any news. Now, it might sound uh-huh. ignorant. I cut out the news, and I do not watch anything on TV before I go to bed. I either uh-huh. read something healing or peaceful, or I put on some kind of um, meditation or hypnotherapy or something peaceful. And Or I pray, or I talk to my angels. I do not do anything negative before I go to bed. Yeah. Maria, we are almost out of time, but before we go, I want to know what drives your passion in life now? Well, what drives my passion in life now is, Tony, I have to be honest with you, I'm an entrepreneur for 33 years now. And my passion is I help other women, other entrepreneurs who are stuck thrive. I help them create Zen and profits simultaneously. So I bring in a peaceful, prosperous strategy into their lives. So it helps them with their personal development and with their business growth. So it's, it's a marriage of two really powerful things. And I want to make a difference. I want to raise the vibration of this earth one person at a time and yeah. share my message and just tell other people, you're not alone. It's okay. And yeah. there's plenty. We're out here. To, I'm, I'm here to support you. If you need help, if you want to start a business, grow a business, or just break through whatever limiting beliefs, because some people are successful, but they're suffering in silence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Maria Fontana, I have to say what an absolute pleasure it's been to have you on Radio Tony today. In the break, which is coming up shortly, I will uh, I will uh, pop in the links to a whole heap of Maria's wonderful stuff. Thank you, Maria, so much for spending time with us on Radio Tony. And we'll go to a break now, Ruby, uh, Rebel. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Thank Dylan. you so much. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues. This is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Director assistant. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype.
Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Tony on Radio Tony this morning. Now, we've just been listening to Maria Fontana, and I've popped into the chat box all of Maria's contact details and some of the things that she's offering uh, for you to join slash connect with her. Um, And one of the questions one of our wonderful listeners asked was what HBDI was. Now, HBDI is the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. And it's kind of a framework that allows you to determine how your brain thinks. And apparently, your brain thinks in um, a number of different ways. And so, this framework allows you to determine whether your brain thinks in an emotional way, an analytical way, a structural way, or a strategic way. And again, our wonderful sponsor, Kerry Hort Rowe, will be coming live on the show soon and we'll be able to explore that whole profiling of how your brain thinks when she comes live on the show. Um, And just a reminder that uh, earlier in the show I mentioned um, my friend Yugita's uh, Travelling With Me, Myself and I retreat on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland coming up in the first weekend in November. And you can find Yugita's retreats on travellingwithmemyselfandi.com. And if you mention Radio Tony when you connect with Yugita, we will have a special gift for you if you book into one of her retreats. Um, So 
this morning we've been listening to Maria Fontana and her light and love work. And next up, we'll be talking to the wonderful Lisa Westgate. Now, Lisa is a freedom mindset training coach. And how this came about was after a period of immense personal development after her paramedic uh, career ended because of mental health challenges. So um, I'm sure you all know, we call them ambulance uh, people in Australia, paramedics in the US and the world over. And so due to her paramedic career, she struggled with PTSD, anxiety, depression, uh, etc. And Lisa had to discover how to overcome all of these challenges. And so what she discovered, she now teaches and trains others to do. She facilitates trainings and workshops for individuals and organisations. And her work is primarily based around the principles and philosophies of NLP. And so NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's the primary modality that helped Lisa uh, get well again and lead her best life. Uh, she now teaches and trains clients and organisations to enable them to have their own breakthroughs and learnings. And I know that we have Lisa online already, so we might start talking to Lisa already if she's there. Good yes, morning, Lisa. I am here. Hello. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. I'm so happy to have you on the show with me today. So this morning, our listeners have been uh, talking to uh, Maria Fontana, who has talked about um, her struggles with anxiety, um, her dysfunctional childhood, and how she got over that, um, and works now in the area of love and light, and we've talked about earth angels and all things wonderful. I've heard but now, listening in. Amazing. Yeah, so she is, uh, has been a wonderful guest, but you will be equally wonderful. So let's start at the beginning. How did you become what you are today? Let's talk about ambulance work. Sure. So um, it, it, we, do, we do refer to ourselves as, as paramedics. So the old, yes. um, what do you call it, the old um, vernacular was ambulance officers. Um, I think that was sort of a, a hijack from police officers. Um, yes. I was uh, going to say ambulance officers and I thought, no, they're no longer ambulance officers, they're paramedics. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's, there was a bit of a change in the language around it. So um, I entered that career at about uh, 25, yes. um, which feels like a lifetime ago now. Um I always knew that I was going to do something helping people, as cliche yeah. as it sounds. Uh, I come from a, a medical family. My um, father's a doctor. In fact, if I could take this moment to give him a happy birthday shout-out, actually, it's my dad's birthday today and I uh, happen to know uh, at least my mum's listening. <laughs> so, happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, Dad. You, you set me on a path. Uh, so I always knew that. 
I was going to go into a role that was related to that. In fact, from the time I was six years old, I was convinced I was going to be a doctor like dad. Um, And then I got to about year 11 and and the reality came crashing down when I realised that I really didn't like chemistry, um, (laughs) which was a prerequisite and thought, okay, we'll have to come up with plan B. Um, So, yeah, I travelled for a year overseas and then when I came back I was looking for something and I sort of, to be honest, I I probably fell into paramedics. Um, I don't know about you but when I did that, you know, career day at high school, we didn't have a paramedic come to our school. We had a nurse and we had soldiers and we had all different kinds of roles about talking about I was just going to say, we had like bank officers, nurses, teachers, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so it had never, it was, I think it's one of those jobs and emergency services in general can be those sorts of jobs that it just gets done, but you never really think about the people that do that job unless you've had to have some sort of one-to-one interaction like call an ambulance or ring the police or something. But they're just sort of yeah. invisible in the background and they ensure that humanity functions and society continues, but it, it was never really pitched to me as an opportunity for a career. Yeah, so which leads Leads us into Evie's question about um, how did our guests go from helping others to breaking down. So before we quite get to that, do you want to talk about what it's like being a paramedic and and the sorts of things that you have to deal with and see on your day-to-day working life? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, Evie. We'll definitely get to that. Um, Look, being a paramedic is possible I mean obviously hugely biased but I think it's one of the most rewarding roles that somebody can take on um I don't regret that I did that for a decade or so uh for a moment it was um certainly the highlights aside obviously from my personal life and having children um the highlights of my life were all in uniform I had the, the absolute joy of uh, bringing six babies into the world in that role, um, which is just, it's amazing once, uh, let alone six times. And I know people that have gone through their careers without ever having uh, the opportunity to, to it's attend. It's pretty topic. special to see a baby born in real life. It really, it, a very, it really is. Very yeah. special experience. Yeah, it's it's a very um, the closest thing I think to witnessing a miracle, um, yeah. and obviously a lot of our job, a lot of the role is spent at the other end of somebody's life. You know, there's obviously yes. a lot of uh, aged care, there's a lot of disease, and there's a lot of death. Um, yeah. So I think it's important to focus on those highlight moments as well, like um, like getting to attend a childbirth and help bring that human into the world for, for their first breath. It is phenomenal. Um, I, I loved the job. I certainly didn't leave by choice. Um, yeah. You do see a lot. I mean, the, the, the sort of tip, the cliche is, uh, you know, you must see some terrible things in inverted commas. Um and I usually throw to humour as a response to that and, yeah. uh, you know, potentially refer to, um, you know, the naked elderly. Uh, that is a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But but in reality, I mean, we do. We do see terrible things. We do see, see you know, people not at their best at, at various... Um, Drug and alcohol issues. Yeah, and various points of injury and illness, um, you know, car accidents. Car accidents are pretty icky. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly a lot of challenging, um, I guess, jobs, we call them, um, that really give you an opportunity to fall back on your training, fall back on your experience, lean on your colleagues and, and oftentimes learn a lot about yourself. Yes. Um, <clears throat> something that I'm, I'm passionate about with regards to all of that is, yeah. you know, the question is, oh, what, how, how did you handle it? And for me, yeah. the question is, I, I didn't really. <laughs> yeah. Nobody um, really taught me in my training, in my uh, early in my career, the discussion was never really had in how to cope with it. And, and look, to give context, this was 2005 I began, so I like to imagine that in the last almost 15 years things have changed, and they certainly have within Victoria. Um, yes. My experience is certainly not unique, and it's not unique to my state or my service or my country. So um, there's, there's certainly a global issue at play. Um, so now, um, yeah, I think it is important to educate people in those roles on how to manage what you see, uh, which I did, I did poorly, which is why I broke down. Because it's a, a complete pounding issue of uh, people in the giving professions, doctors, nurses, paramedics. You have to give of your time and soul and energy. And if you don't give back to yourself or you don't understand that you have to refill your cup, so to speak, to do your job, and it's particular to the helping professions mm. where you give 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 you need to be taught you need to know how to refill your own cup or otherwise you end up as lisa has with ptsd anxiety depression is that true lisa do you think yeah, absolutely. And recently the World Health Organization did um, finally uh, announce that burnout is a uh, legitimate medical condition. Um, and ah. to me, PTSD, burnout, compassion fatigue, I mean, these are all really, you know, related conditions on a spectrum, I would say. They're all, they're all cousins to one another. Um, teachers, are. I would also add school teachers into that um, collection of people that uh, and roles that are susceptible to giving too much of themselves. Um, and uh, I think it's, yeah, again, it's really important to upskill these, these roles in how to manage um, that ebb and flow, that give and take. I was under the misapprehension that to be good at my job, I needed to be empathetic. Now, em empathy and being an empath and all that yes. is is very much thrown around. You know, we need to be more empathetic. Uh, one of the things that I educate around is the difference between 
education, uh, empathy and compassion, excuse me. So yes. the difference between empathy and compassion. And for me, the way that I define the difference is empathy is to feel with somebody. So it's really to step into their pain or their trauma or their discomfort and feel it with them yes. and experience uh, their discomfort um, for yourself. And I thought that to do that made me good at my job and it was, in fact, a requirement of my job. Yeah. Um, that is actually what, what I believe made me sick. In fact, um, I believe that ac accumulating a decade's worth of other people's grief and loss and pain yeah. and sadness and bringing it into my body to be empathic um, really led to me getting quite unwell, both mentally and physically. Yeah. Compassion, on the other hand, Tony, is very much about being 100% there for that other person. Yeah. So this comes back to boundaries, which I heard you talking about this morning yes. with Maria as well. I'm very clear now, having learnt the hard way, as I often do, yeah. what, is, what is mine and my responsibility and mine to look after and very clearly what is not mine, what is theirs. And I've yeah. got a, a boundary that's, that's a, a brick wall and three metres high and I'm very clear on that, which I wasn't when I was in the job. And so yeah. compassion is about being over, being able to look over that boundary wall and be take yourself out of the picture. It's not about you. It's about the person that needs you right now. What do yeah. they need from me? What are they going through? But being very clear that it's their stuff, yeah. it's their journey, it's their experience. Yes. And yeah. what that allows as well is – not being caught up in your own in your own response to their trauma, for example. So yeah. I do hear people saying, oh, well, I don't want to ask how somebody is in case they say they're not good. And then what do I say? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know what to say? And all those I questions lead people to get really anxious. They, they're in their own head about yeah. what if I say the wrong thing, what if I make it worse, um, et cetera. Whereas yeah. if you can stay in compassion and you can just be there for that person 100%, whether it's, the, the in my case, the patient or a client or the relative, it allows yeah. you to focus purely on them and get out of your own head and start thinking, well, what do they need from me right now? Um, yeah. And so on many levels I think that's an important distinction between empathy and compassion for your own welfare, but also because then whatever you do in terms of interacting with that other person, you're making it all about them and they're going to really notice that energetically, they're going to feel heard, they're going to recognise that you're not processing in your own mind what you're going to say next, you're actually just being there and hearing them. But you're also, most importantly, protecting yourself. 100%. You've got some we've got some wonderful questions in. So Zara's commented, it's like being a funny guy that makes others happy but is sad inside. Erin mm -hmm. says, when we keep making sure others are okay, we can tire ourselves out. How will we know if we have burnout? Yeah, great question, Erin. So yeah. I think, and, and this is the reason that I'm so passionate about this discussion is recognising that it is beautiful 
And, you know, Erin, the fact that you've asked that question tells me the sort of person you are, you know, that you're always putting other people above yourself. You're always looking out for others. And the world needs those people um, like yourself. I think what is required is an understanding that you're a person too and to somebody else you're an other and it's okay to make sure that you're okay too. And the way that often people feel more at ease with this idea because we've sort of been conditioned around this idea of being selfish in inverted commas and we don't want to do that. Um, The more you can look after yourself, Erin, the more you can make yourself a priority and look after your own well-being and making sure that you're okay will allow you to be in the best state possible so that you can continue looking after other people. And so, Erin, if you're burnt out, it's uh, a horrible feeling of knowing that you want to do something but feeling like you just can't do it or you can't get out of bed or you burst into tears for no reason. Mm. Um, Those are some of the symptoms that I had of burnout. Lisa, what were some of your symptoms Look, I think, you know, as you've said, it, it's, it sort of varies from person to person. Burnout can be um, a, a physical exhaustion. So there's a physical exhaustion element, like you said, where you can't get out of bed. It yeah. can also be uh, a level of emotional exhaustion. Um, I felt, for me, one of the biggest things was making decisions. I had like a decision yes. fatigue. I just... I I had no, it was as if I had no mental capacity anymore to make simple decisions. I was just uh, at the bottom of the barrel um, to the point where I couldn't decide what to have for dinner at night. I was just going to say that decision Mm. fatigue was one of my symptoms too. I just, what am I going to have for tea? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I can't decide. I I don't care. Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I said that a lot. That's burnout. Yeah, that is, that is, yeah, absolutely. And look, it's just, um, I think you know the signs and symptoms, you know, if you're really finding yourself. The other thing may be short temper. Um, mm-hmm. That was certainly an issue for me. I had a bit of a, a hair trigger for a few years. Probably my major symptom was um, an anger response. So uh-huh. I wrote a blog piece a little while ago called All the Way to Eleven. Uh, And what I mean by that is as part of burnout and, in my case, PTSD, I lost the 0 to 10 emotional regulation ability. So anger, for example, is uh, all all emotions happen on a spectrum. So to use anger as an example, you sort of, you can go from mildly irritated, slightly annoyed, to exasperated, to frustrated, to angry to uh, rage to fury. So if you think about it as sort of accelerating as it increases. Now, to give you some context, um, my children at the time that I was unwell were about 12 and 14. Yeah. And as typical, you know, uh, preteens, they uh, had a habit of using the the butter knife, make themselves a sandwich, and then they'd leave the knife on the bench top rather than put it in the sink or in the dishwasher. 
Now, that probably requires about a level two response, you know, of annoyance. Uh, I'd lost my zero to ten, and so everything that really should have been down the lower end of the spectrum got Mm -hmm. an 11. I was all the way at 11, and so I would respond with this, you know, rage and fury to the littlest things that really didn't require it. Um, And part of the the healing that that I did and that I take people through is about regaining that zero to 10 and and sort of gaining that spectrum back to be able to respond with a little perspective. So if you're finding yourself sort of flying off the handle and uh, having emotional responses, either anger at 11 or sadness at 11, where something might be mildly upsetting and you're having a three-day breakdown, that might be an indicator that things aren't where they should be. Yeah, yeah. Lisa Willow wants to know, did you feel you were leaving your self-care out or did you not realise the importance of self-care as you went into that PTSD, anxiety, depression? Yeah, it's such a good question, Willow. It's a great question, Willow. I um, I always say that I, I, sort of, I was the last to my own party uh, I, I was the last one to know uh, that I had an issue and I sort of, um, you know, not not to make light of um, what our LGBTQI friends go through, but I used to say that I, I came out of the PTSD closet and said, you know, I think, I think I've got a problem. Uh, yeah. And everybody around me went, uh, yeah, no duh, you've been horrible <laughs> to live with for the last two years. Um, so I was really, yeah, the last one to my own party. I had no idea. I think when you're, when you're in it, it's sort of like being in the middle of a tornado. You know, things yes. are whirling around you and you're really, I was so focused on putting one step in front of the other. And my mantra was, I'm just doing what I have to do. And that was my language around it, what I have to do. Um, I felt quite trapped. I felt like I didn't have, I knew I didn't want to go to work, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. Um, So at the time I was the breadwinner for the family. And just because I didn't feel like it, didn't seem like a good enough reason to not go or take some leave or um, Mm -hmm. So have yeah, a mental this, health day. That's right. This was not in my conscious awareness at all. Um, I think I felt I knew I was exhausted and um, that I was angry all the time, and I really fluctuated between exhaustion and and anger. And yeah. um, I think part of the reason sometimes people can be just as an aside, people can be reluctant to let go of anger is because at that stage for me that was the closest I felt to motivated so anger is a very high energy emotion you know you can't sort of be laissez-faire angry if you're fired up you know even there in in the words if you're really angry it is a high energy emotion so when you're fluctuating between that and you know like we were talking about um a moment ago about not being able to get out of bed i think that was with um with uh some another caller um another listener you know when you're between i can't get out of bed when you're furious you actually feel energized you know it's kind of an up 
emotion, yes. not that it's a positive emotion, but it's a high energy emotion. I think sometimes people are reluctant to let go of the anger because that's the only time they feel kind of yeah. alive and, and, and functional. Um, so to answer your question, I had no idea that I was leaving myself out. I had no idea that I probably should have been taking part in the behaviours we've spoken about of filling my cup and looking after myself. I, I was very clueless, had no insight at the time that I was in the middle of it all. Mm. So for the listeners, if there's any of those feelings of burnout you're feeling, then one of the the key things to do is to take a day off, go to the beach, go to the forest, go somewhere different, just take a day off. And if that starts to cause you anxiety because you're taking a day off, that might be a key that things are not on track mm. when you think that if you can't take a day off um, and just relax, that's probably a key to let you know that you're getting close to that burnt out stage. Wouldn't you think, Lisa? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Um, that resistance to to taking that time away yes. um, is probably a, a good indicator that things are not all well. Um, I think it is very um, – a, a couple of things. I think it's great that we now recently have moved into an environment where that is a lot more um, possible, as in I suspect uh, – I would hope – that management wherever you work would be more approachable in terms of a mental health day. I do know of some organisations that are now allocating as, as much as they do annual leave and sick leave that mental you get health mental health leave, mental health days, and there's a recognition that to support their staff and to have their staff work more productively and be more functional that they give them those days without stigma, without pressure, without having to uh, make a big deal Explain. out of it. Yeah, you just uh, you just say, yeah, I'm taking one of my days. Um, so I think it's great that the environment appears to be shifting in a positive direction. Um, For, I know that those, those ideas are, um, are alive and well uh, in, across Australia. I'm just wondering for our American listeners, do you guys actually have uh, mental health days or do you feel that you're able to take a day off to refill your cup, so to speak? Um, I'm just wondering if the mm. ideas are the same across the countries. Um, and whilst you guys are thinking about that, James wants to know, is it the same when you put work above all else or is it a different situation? There you go, Lisa. That's a great question for you to answer. Yeah, James, look, I would say that that's probably in the um, in the same basket. Um, yeah. In, in that, that focus, <clears throat> excuse me, that focus on your work um, it is probably and to the exclusion of all else or to yeah. the, um, you know, to the, the high priority above all else is I wouldn't recommend that as a life choice. Um, I'm certainly an advocate for people living a holistic life and uh, actually 
volunteer some time at the uh, Victoria Police Academy. And what I talk to those guys about is remembering who they are outside of the uniform and really regardless of your role, you know, you can work in an office, you can work uh, in a hospital, wherever you work, be 100% at work when you're at work but then please ensure that you are 100% not at work when you're not at work and embrace those other yes. roles that you have, James. You're, uh, you know, potentially you're a son, you're a father, you're a husband, you're a brother, um, you, you know, you're a, a basketballer or a four-wheel driver or a macrame maker. I don't know what you're into, James, but, you know, there are other aspects to your personality aside from your work role and, I think we do need to be aware around what you take on as identity. I think identity is a big issue of people taking their work and making it their identity and really letting go of all those other aspects of their personality. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very important that at the end of the day, if you're going to work, like if you don't work for yourself, if you work for someone else – that's that's their environment you're just a, a, a you are a paid employee you are paid for a certain amount of work and once that time is done that should be it there should there should be no reason to answer mm. work emails on a weekend for example um renee said uh, we need them but don't get them and leo says mostly you guys work uh, five out of seven days here um, in the US. So um, it's interesting to know that there's a few differences between between the countries. Um, Lisa, I want to talk more about your diagnosis of PTSD, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Did it take a while to get to that like did you struggle with that for a period of time then did you have to stop work like what was the process like for you in recognizing those things and getting them dealt with yeah excellent so I um probably was at work for about a year and a half when I shouldn't have been um again in that in that tornado in the middle of things one foot in front of the other um, before it all came to a head and, um, and, uh, excuse me, there we go. Uh, before it all came to a head and honestly, it got taken out of my hands. Um, word got around to a few different, um, management type people that I was not well. Yeah. And my career ended from my manager taking me off the road and basically assessing me as a liability. And, uh, and I don't blame him for that, that I, I was, um, that, um, he got wind of what was happening and sort of pushed me and said, we can't actually put you back to work until you get assessed by a psychiatrist. So how did you feel when your manager came to you and said, Lisa, we can't let you go out on the road anymore? What was that moment like for you? Uh, Unsurprisingly, given what I've spoken about, I was really angry. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's because I was pretty angry about everything all the time. Um, Yeah, I I really felt like I'd been robbed. Someone had taken something from me. Um, Mm. 
you know, being so blinkered to my own situation, not having insight, uh, I didn't feel that I was, I didn't believe I was, in inverted commas, that bad. Um, obviously, uh-huh. in hindsight, I really, really was. Um, so it was a sort of a sequence of events that led to that. I, um, I had several people ask me, as you would, uh, you know, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? And, and I told them, and what I told them was, well, I've been thinking a lot about driving into a tree. Ah. Now, as dramatic as that sounds, I was never going to do it. Uh, what I learnt later, of course, was that these were intrusive thoughts and suicidal ideations. So I was thinking a lot. It's almost as if when you daydream about a new boyfriend or girlfriend yes. um, and you just sort of find yourself imagining what, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to go on a holiday with them or I wonder what it'd be like to, you know, snuggle up on the couch and watch a movie with them and you sort of find yourself daydreaming. I was sort of doing that but I was yeah. visualising myself driving into a tree. Um, yeah. And I told people, um, which at the time I was like, oh, well, that was the mistake. I should have kept it to myself. But now I think, you know, it's obviously much better that I did. And that really <laughs> led to a series of phone calls and, and, and peer support services and psychologist services. And the system worked. You know, there were many phone yeah. calls to uh, – to the, the powers that be saying you need to go and check on Lisa. She's, she's not 100%. Uh, yeah. And that's really what preceded that, that decision by management to say, look, you know, this is not okay and yeah. you need to go and get yourself sorted out. Uh, but, geez, yeah, I was, I was very angry uh, for a, a long time um, until I realised that being angry at the organisation and um, and management was only hurting me. It was, it was holding me to that period in my life. Mm. And one of the most profound shifts that I had in my healing journey was releasing that anger towards my ex-employer and towards those people and, and just letting that go because that was really tethering me to that older version of me. Because if they hadn't implemented some of those strategies to get you help – it could have been a really bad outcome for you, couldn't it, Lisa? Uh, massively. Um, I did have a point at which um, I was very, very irritable, very easy to upset, yeah. and I rang a colleague of mine, a senior paramedic, and who lived around the corner, thankfully, and I said, the next person that calls me for a stubbed toe, um, as in the next person that dials our emergency number for a stubbed toe and gets sent to them, um, I'm going to hit them. And he said, that's not good. Like, obviously, it's not okay to to, um, to, uh, be aggressive towards patients. But I I was so warped in my thinking and overcome with those feelings of annoyance and irritation Uh, and that led to him coming over and we had a chat and he made uh, an insistence to my husband that to make sure that I called the uh, the um, what's it called like the um, the helpline that we had within the organization and make make that phone call 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. He said, make sure she makes that call. So that was probably the first point of insight that I got where I thought, well, I haven't always felt that about yeah. people. You know, I do normally um, have huge amounts of empathy and compassion. Um, and when I noticed myself feeling like that, I thought, well, okay, that's not right. Something's not not correct there. Um, yeah. And and so you were actually eventually not in the in the first instance, but eventually you were grateful that they instigated some of those strategies for you, and and got you on the way to uh, getting some help. But I'm guessing that it took a while for it to, as Willow says, when did it sink in? It, it took you a while to realise that these were serious um, issues. Uh, going on in your mind and and affecting your health, didn't you? Like it, it didn't occur to you immediately. No, like I said, it was apparent to everybody else um, that had to spend time with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I <clears throat> I was so caught up in the in the doing of being a human doing that I really. Yeah. Um, it did. It took a while. I, I went and I saw a, a psychologist for a short time and, and had a few sessions and after speaking about, you know, something happens when you say it out loud. You know, when you I say agree. it out loud, what is inside your brain, um, all of a sudden it's harder to justify. You know, it, it's it's you, you sort of look at it from the outside and go, yeah, you know, now that I've said that, that doesn't sound right. Um, and it adds another dimension. So it did take uh, a couple of uh, sessions with the psychologist and I had a, a process called EMDR, which is even yes. more complicated than PTSD. It's eye movement desensitisation reprocessing, I think. Yes, that's it. Um, that's the one. That's it. I, got, I win. <laughs> you do. And I went through that process for a couple of um, key Incidents. So part of um, what can occur in PTSD is uh, reliving the trauma. So that yes. can be in the form of uh, flashbacks or nightmares. Um, and, and, of course, it varies from person to person. Everybody's experience of PTSD is different. Yeah. Um, so in my instance, I was having flashbacks to a couple of big jobs. I won't go into details. Needless to say, they were awful fatalities. And and I would be walking along the, you know, the cheese aisle at the supermarket yes. and I would have what I would call visitors in that I would see the face of the people that have passed um, under traumatic circumstances in my mind, it was as if they just sort of floated towards me, a bit like that, the library scene in the original Ghostbusters, you know, they yes, sort of yes, float towards yes. me. Um, and I had that and I didn't even know until later that that was sort of flashbacks. I would just say I'm, I have visitors. I'm being visited by these faces when I don't really want to think want about them. them. Did it Yeah, it was almost like a haunting. Did it scare you at the time, Lisa, when those things were happening? Um, or did you just brush it off and think, oh, okay, <laughs> like we yep. do? 
Yeah, I probably I was irritated. As I said, I was uh-huh. pretty solid on the anger spectrum there. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a nuisance. Um, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't afraid. I don't think I was ever scared. I never felt like I've heard other people say, you know, I I thought I was losing my mind. I don't think I ever had that that thought or that feeling. So you could that- still acknowledge that something was not quite right, but it pissed you off <laughs> Yep. <laughs> rather than sent you to seek help. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is one of the attributes of PTSD or burnout or, or compassion fatigue is that, you know, you really get locked down in one emotion and that is your go-to and, and you know, yeah. we can go into depth and talk about the neuropsychology of that and, and actually the it's sort of like a neurological superhighway. And so yeah. whatever yeah. the whatever the instigator is, whatever the, tr- the, I hate the word trigger, but whatever the incident yeah. is that sparks off the feeling, there's such, yeah. it's like there's a six-lane highway that goes, in my case, to anger yeah. and everything else. So all the other spectrum of emotions, so joy, sadness, uh, betrayal, hurt, any other, anything else is like a little overgrown dirt path. And so... Uh-huh. My brain so quickly just went to anger about everything um, yeah. and and it was just my go-to emotion. So, yeah, I was just pissed off that I was in this situation. I was yeah. pissed off, to use your words, that, yeah, yeah. that this was even happening to me. You know, I yeah. felt really um, ripped off. It certainly wasn't I was a just plan. Say- it certainly wasn't a choice. Um, yeah. And I was spending a lot of time angry at being unwell yeah angry at at my brain I I remember distinctly feeling angry that my brain had let me down which is not the case it's actually the reverse it's your brain trying to protect you and get you to fix it yeah and and anger is a wonderful emotion I don't want to pay out on anger anger has so much value Anger's role, so first of all, every emotion you have has a positive intention, all right, because yes. they come from your subconscious mind and your subconscious mind's job is to keep you safe, right? Your yeah. subconscious mind's job is to keep you alive and well. So everything it sends you is for your own good. Yeah. The job of anger is to let you know that a boundary has been crossed. Yeah. Um, which obviously it took me a little while to figure out and hours and hours and dollars and dollars of training. Um, but I now recognize that the reason I was so angry was because I personally myself had allowed so many boundaries to be crossed. Ah, yeah, yeah. And That's I really a- had to process that and find out the roots of all of those to be able to let go of that yeah yeah that's that's a really good um point for me today to remember that Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes we all need reminders yeah yeah Yeah, it's gonna get caught up and like I'm not perfect you know I aim for about 80 20 um you know and 20 percent I have human moments and human days and and human weeks uh, where I'm in 
my reaction. Uh, one of my colleagues, um, shout out to James Greenshields, talks about responding from emotion, not in emotion. And I think yes. it's such a crucial difference um, yes. to recognize that you're responding from an emotion, not responding while you're in it. Because when you're in it, uh, your perspective is, is totally lost. Yeah, when you're in a deep emotion, you're not thinking as rationally as you would. So it's actually a, a skill to learn to wait until that emotion has passed, think about it, and then if you need to go back to uh, anger about something because uh, anger is an important emotion. It's not one we should not allow ourselves mm. to experience or display but it should be displayed or experienced in a way that is helpful and not hindering yeah yeah absolutely as I said every every emotion has a positive intention and I don't even like calling uh, an emotion a negative emotion um so sometimes yeah things will be referred to as a negative emotion, so anger, sadness, fear and guilt. There is no negative emotion. Um, the three things that I teach uh, with regards to emotions is the questions you want to ask when you find yourself having an emotional reaction to something, is it the right emotion? Is it the right intensity? And is yeah. it the right time? And, and really, because often things will come out as something else. So have you ever seen kids, and I'm sure everybody has, <clears throat> kids playing in a playground? Yeah. And there'll be, there'll be I don't know, a, 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 a uh, evil Knievel-style four-year-old standing on the top of the monkey bars. And the child's mum turns around from, you know, talking to a friend sees the child on the top of the monkey bars and screams out their name for them to get down. Yeah. Now that comes out as anger. They appear to be angry. The kid feels as though oh, mum's angry at me from being up here. But yeah. it's not anger. She's not angry. She's terrified. What? That's fear. Yeah. But it is expressed as anger. Yeah. So when we have an emotion, I think it's very important to take a step back and go, is, is this the emotion? Am I actually angry or have I been hurt? Am I feeling yeah. betrayed? Am I yeah. afraid? What's yeah. going on underneath that? Anger is a very protective emotion. It keeps people at a distance. People don't want to be around you when you're angry. It creates a barrier, it creates a buffer. And so that's, it's serving a purpose. So yeah. when you experience an emotion, Question it. Get curious. I'm obsessed with curiosity. Curiosity yes. is key. Ask yes. it the questions. Is this the right emotion? Is that actually what I'm feeling is what's coming out? Is it the right intensity? So as we were saying before, is does it need an 11 or is, <laughs> will a 2 do? You know, like. Yeah. yeah. Is it the right intensity? Where on that spectrum do we need to be? And is this the right time? So in yeah. the middle of the supermarket, is that the best time to have this emotion or can mm -hmm. I maybe allocate some time to feel this feeling later? Yeah, yeah. And really you, 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 do have a, you do have that ability within yourself to uh, pop things to another 
space and time. As long as you actually do go and revisit it, it's helpful to do that. It's when you don't go and revisit it and you just push it away or push it down and don't revisit it, that's when some of the issues start to uh, creep up on you, isn't it? Yeah, you're spot on. And people are so good at that first stage of the process of the suppression of I'll just push this down and not deal with it. It is the revisiting is the key. It's the coming back to it and allowing the emotion to come out. So I have a process called feel the feeling. And, you know, it's... It's, it's very simple. Um, you just allocate a period of time and say, okay, I'm going to feel whatever I need to feel, whatever that is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a timer on. And for five minutes or for ten minutes, I'm going to allow myself to feel this emotion, which may be like a, a sadness or a grief or a sense of loss. Yes. Or, um, I'm going to allow that. I'm going to honour it. I'm going to experience it. But I'm not going to set up camp and live here, right? So yeah. that's the other thing is, that, you know, to, to, to acknowledge your emotions but yeah. be in charge. Don't, you don't have to let them own you. You don't have to go down into that place and then stay there. You can mm-hmm. say I'm going to set an alarm for five minutes and for the next five minutes I'm just going to let my body um, which is the, the manifestation of your unconscious mind is your body. So let your body feel whatever it needs to feel and allow yourself to go there. And then when the alarm goes off, take three deep breaths and get on with it. And what you'll find mm. as a practice is that you get better at doing that. And, and then when you suppress it, an emotion, which we've all done, Yes. It's a bit like trying to push a balloon underwater. It'll just pop up and pop up and pop up. But yeah. by allowing it, giving it some time, it'll just float away when it's done and you won't have that constant uh, popping up again because you've given it the space. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So just um, just want to ask you, so if you are feeling powerfully angry about something and you recognize that it's not an appropriate time and you you take time out and you go and uh, to sit with that anger somewhere I actually is it okay to punch pillows and oh uh, yeah yeah, absolutely I was gonna say don't sit with it get it out yeah yeah punch pillows scream yell Inside your car is a yes. really great place <laughs> to work out some of these emotions. Uh-huh. Um, so if you've got to go to the supermarket, just pull up a you know a couple of streets away, wind the windows up, and let it out. Absolutely, yeah. go for your life. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Because there's also something about the physical releasing of anger or or sadness, or having sadness. a good cry. Um, and actually allowing yourself to have a really good cry uh, mm. is powerful a tool in oh, making sure you're not su- suppressing things. Huge. Yeah, the shower is my favourite place for crying. I don't know if that's just yep. me. Maybe that's too much information about Lisa. But, yeah, the shower is a good yep. place for, for yeah. crying. Um, part of – I got so good at suppressing emotions yeah. that I – 
at, at sort of, I guess, not long after I was um, taken off the road and told that I, I couldn't come back until I, you know, sorted myself out. Yeah. Um, about a couple of months after that, I said to my husband, I feel like I want to cry. And he said, don't cry. And I said, I, I, I can't. Like I physically could not cry. I was so locked down in terms of my emotional intelligence, my access yes. to my emotions. Mm-hmm. It was almost that feeling, um, to, to be a bit graphic, um, just before you vomit, you know, that, that pressure yes. build up yes. within and yeah. I really felt like I needed to cry in sort of a vomit-like emotion, like an explosive yes. cry, and I, I couldn't do it. And so it was very frustrating, of course. And my dear, dear sweet husband, who I'm sure I'll talk about endlessly, took me out to the backyard. We were living on a property that was about an acre. We went out yeah. to the back half of the property, away from the, the house with the kids in it, and we went out the back and we sat on the ground. It was in the Australian bush. And he taught me how to yell <laughs> because oh. I was so suppressed. He said, okay, we're going to sit here and you're going to yell. And so we did it little by little and he was like, scream. And I would sort of, you know, squeak out this little noise. And he goes, yeah. great, do it again and again and again. And he coached me to, you know, push my stomach in and yell from the diaphragm. And I got louder and louder and louder. And I finally got to the point where I just yeah, I yelled so loudly and I, you know, for years I'd been just keeping it together, keep it together. Yes, um, yes. And I released this very primal sort of yell that was, it was like an emotional yeah, vomit. Yeah. And of course that allowed me to cry. And then I yelled and then I cried and it started raining and we were sitting out in the rain and I'm crying and screaming. And he turns to me and he said, I'm so proud of you. And I felt like a you know, nutter. <laughs> I felt crazy. Uh, and he said, I'm so proud of you. And to this day, I think that really, it was like popping a cork, you yes. know, and I really had to let that out and allow myself to reconnect with that entire emotional spectrum that I'd really, really lost. And, yeah. and anger was the only thing that was slipping out from, from yeah. beneath. And yeah. from, from that experience onwards, I could slowly reconnected with, you know, the rest of human emotions and began functioning as a person again, yeah. I, I like to think. So. We are so fast running out of time and Kathy has a wonderful question. Um, is it hard to get to a better place once you have fallen so low? Yeah, and I, I get where you're coming from, Kathy. When you're in that low place, it can feel very out of reach. It can yeah. feel so far from where you're at. Um, I am. I was up late last night. I am putting the finishing touches on my first ebook, which is called "The Three Keys to Outgrow Trauma." Yeah. And if it's all right, I think in response to Kathy, I'd like to share those three keys because I really feel it, it's yeah. going to answer her question. Yes, please. So the first key is to an em- embrace an empowered state. And what I mean by that is you've got to get to a point, you've got to make a decision that it's your life and you're going to take charge again. 
because no matter what has happened to you, whether it's from other people, you've been wronged, uh, you've had negative experiences, you've had challenges in your life, whatever has occurred is not who you are and it's not where you are now. And so taking that empowered state and deciding to own it all doesn't mean taking blame. What it means is you are where you are now and you can own that. And then from that empowered state of, okay, this is my life and I'm going to decide what happens from here on, that's how change can occur. So number one, you've got to adopt that empowered state and and own it and make a decision that you are now in charge. Whatever's come before has come before, but here you are now and moving forward, you're the boss of your own life. So that's key number one. Key number two is drive your own bus. Recognize, <laughs> recognize that you're driving your bus. Nobody else can drive your bus. And there's a couple of things that you can do to make that a smoother ride. One of those is um, take your foot off the brake. Uh, so that is about allocating some time to work on you. So it could be six days, it could be six weeks, could be six years, but make some time for the work to, you know, you may have you may have heard the phrase, you know, doing the work or doing the deep work. It is, and you need to make some time for that. So take your foot off the brake, give yourself some time, allocate some time to that. And then the other thing you can do to drive your own bus and make it easier is to remove some extra baggage. So anything that no longer serves you, so programmings, beliefs, stories you've been telling yourself, stories other people told you, um, you can, there's lots of ways to do that. You can work with a coach, you can do online courses, you can go to a big weekend transformational event. Um, if you're not sure what to do about that, by all means, get in touch with me. Clear and I've just put Lisa's website up on in the chat box. It's Lisa Westgate, L-I-S-A-W-E-S-T-G-A-T-E.com. Sorry, Lisa. No, that's fine. Thank you so much. Um, so clearing that stuff is going to get you ready for key number three. And key number three is the new you. So once you've taken on that empowered state, you're driving your bus, you've allocated some time, you clear some old stuff that you don't need anymore, then you've got space and time for the new you. And that's the fun bit. That's about redefining who you are from this point onwards. What do you want to feel about yourself? What do you want your relationship to your family and friends to be like? How do you want to feel about money? You know, whatever you, whatever's important to you in the world, you get to choose it. You get to redefine the rules. And so that's really the third key. And once you can go through those three steps, sometimes, you know, you've, you've got to do the process over and over. Sometimes it goes one, two, three, two, three, two, three, one, two, three. You know, it's, it's not necessarily one, two, three, tick the box, you're done. But those are, in, in my mind, the three keys to moving from that place of, low, um, giving your power away, living in a, in a phase of response when you're just reacting to the world. And the way to get out of that, number one, is to decide that you're going to be in charge and no longer just be in that res responding to what happens to you mode. Take charge. I hope that and helps. with that... My darling listeners and my wonderful Lisa, we are out of time. 
I can't believe that it's gone so fast. Thank you so much for being on Radio Tony today, Lisa. Um, For everyone listening, Lisa's details are popped in the chat box so that you can contact her um, even from anywhere in the world. It's... um, you're able to contact Lisa here in Australia. Harper wants to know, is it easy to take your power back? Yes, and that's our final does. question in 30 seconds. Yep. So contact me. I'm more than happy to have a lengthier chat to you, Harper. My email is on that website. So just head to lisawestgate.com uh, and I'm more than happy to continue that conversation. So, everyone, it's been a wonderful show today. Special thank you to Lisa for coming on the show at short notice a wonderful thank you to maria who we heard from earlier um i'll be back next week with more radio tony and next week we have a a spiritual healer by the name of athena and we'll be talking to her about all things um don't forget to pop on to lisa's site to have a look at all the wonderful services she offers or to just have a chat to her about her experiences with ptsd anxiety and depression we didn't manage to get onto nlp which is neuro linguistically programming but that's okay i'll just have to get lisa back so everyone thank you so much for listening today to radio tony and over to you rebel bye for now join tony londis author of resilience memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty on the women for women network Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony is your safe space for these tough conversations. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mama.